Welcome, listeners, to www.ironradio.org, the website and podcast for all things strength sports and sports nutrition. With your hosts, Lonnie Lowry. Remember, Phil is like a gnarled old oak tree held together with scar tissue and bone spurs. Rob Fortney. And I'm telling you, the pain that I would suffer was beyond excruciating. And Phil Stevens. Do it, Rob. You'll kill all those nerves. Thanks for listening. Welcome, Iron Radio listeners. This is Lonnie Lowry. I'm an exercise physiology and sports nutrition professor of about 20 years, and I'm a former competitive bodybuilder. I'm just going to share a little bit of news with you in the news segment here this morning, and then we'll catch up with Mike and Phil after the break, and we're going to talk about being a good citizen as part of the fitness community, specifically like the muscle and strength sports communities. Uh, the news here, uh, I had two of them, and I'm, I'm here to at least try to help make sense out of these seemingly conflicting reports. Uh, one is a continuation of the fake meat category and how it's expanding like crazy. And then, ironically, the other one that came across my desk is about the importance of nutrients in meat and eggs. So it could leave you thinking, What's going on? The industry isn't listening to the scientists, or there's a disconnect, and, and and maybe there is. But but let's take a look at this. This first one. Strength and muscle sport news. Kellogg unveils leaf jerky at Expo East. If we're not familiar, uh, Expo East and Expo West, they're big sort of um, conventions in the food industry and dietary supplements and things like that. This particular. Uh, Report is from Monica Watrous, W-A-T-R-O-U-S. It says, from Baltimore, Leaf Jerky, a new brand launching at Natural Products Expo East, has its roots in Battle Creek, Michigan, uh, where apparently a Kellogg company employee submitted the idea for a plant-based meat snack alternative. Uh, Amy Schuldis the founder of Leaf Jerky said, quote, We wanted to create a vegan brand and product that was delicious enough to share with my meat-eating family and friends, but also is good for you, uh, etc. Now, again, this sounds sort of interesting and, and contradictory to me because if plants are the good-for-you choice, then this next science bit of news sort of contradicts that because it talks about how important the nutrients in meat and eggs are. But in any case, let's get back to this uh, Kellogg unveiling their leaf jerky thing. Uh, One good thing that came from this is says that they are also offering a grant in a partnership with Michigan State University. So hopefully what they can do is look into the actual, not just the attractiveness of this product or the sales, but the nutritional value. In fact, Coming up in short order here, the National Strength Conditioning Association is offering an online personal trainers conference, and one of the two lectures that I'm actually doing as part of that is about vegetable proteins. Like, if you are a vegan, what do you do? I mean, vegetable proteins tend to be lower quality on average. They're more incomplete than uh, animal proteins are, so plant proteins more incomplete. But um, what do you do if you are a vegan? So... Uh, I, I think listeners know that neither Mike uh, nor Phil nor myself are vegans. Uh, I, I think it's removing whole sections of the, the food guide, if you will. 
but if you are one and you're exercising, how do you deal with that? If you want to get maximal protein synthesis and that sort of thing. So I hope that this grant that they're paying for uh, actually is about some of the, the protein synthetic nutrition and that sort of thing. Somehow I'm doubting it, but I hope so. Uh, it says leaf jerky is soy based and packaged in a single portion for portable consumption. Well, there's pros and cons there. Um, the single portion for most of our listeners is probably going to be woefully small. Uh, I think a lot of you guys know that, you know, you get up, you break open a little snack and you're like, wow, that's it. You know, like I ate that in two bites kind of thing. I don't know if that's going to be true, but it does say it has 11 grams of protein. So not great, but not bad. But again, soy, there's some disturbing data that soy just doesn't cut it when compared to certain animal proteins like dairy or egg. So, you know, again, there might be a protein quality issue. And that's one of my concerns with all of these fake meat, uh, pseudo meat products that are coming out. In fact, Iron Radio has a modest but significant reach. I'd love to hear what you guys think about soy. Um, it's the fallback, almost default, plant kingdom alternative to animal proteins. The research isn't super supportive, especially if you look at like Stu Phillips' lab, for example. Um, but I still think if you eat a variety of different plant proteins throughout the day, you can get away with it. Anyway, um, just back to the article... Miss Shouldis said, quote, so many people have the desire and intent to incorporate more plant-based protein in their diets. Um, and then it goes on to say, in addition to being featured at Expo East uh, in Baltimore, Leaf Jerky is launching in test markets later this year. So I believe Expo East actually just took place, but again, they're going to roll this out on a larger scale later this year in test markets, and then even more so, I think, in 2020, Kellogg already has firm footing in the meat alternative market, it says, with its Morningstar Farms brand, and I'm familiar with that. Uh, like, they have products like Incognito. There's a lot of these different, you know, bad puns, but uh, I don't know. So keep your eyes peeled for that. Again, it's soy-based. I almost rather it be a mix of pea protein and a couple of other, like, beans and, and things like that, some in there as well, uh, as opposed to just soy, but... I'll be taking a closer look at this myself. Um, again, I think one of the concerns for me is quotes like when uh, this Amy Shouldis said, delicious enough to share with my meeting friends, but also provides good for you benefits. Uh, and again, there's the there, sort of eco angle on all this as well. But let's look at this next one. If, if we want to look at good for you benefits here, this is from the Institute of Food Technologists. Study links dietary choline to reduced dementia risk. Now, it's not cause and effect. It's an observational study, and Mike and I often go on about that in the field, too. Like, you have to be careful with these correlational designs. They don't prove or cause that one thing is, is uh, inducing the other, but it says intake of dietary phosphatidylcholine was linked to a reduced risk of dementia in a new study by researchers at the University of Eastern Finland. Eggs and meat were the main sources of dietary choline, which was also associated with improved cognitive performance uh, in the study. And the results were published in the American Journal of Clinical Nutrition. That's arguably the premier nutrition uh, science journal. Uh, the American Society of Nutrition, I'm actually sort of a uh, mid-level member of that group. 
they are the one behind the American Journal of Clinical Nutrition. So when something appears in that, it's very rigorous. I've heard that up to 75% of papers submitted to that journal just get rejected uh, outright. <laughs> anyway, uh, an essential nutrient, choline, is needed for the formation of acetylcholine, which is a neurotransmitter. Uh, now, this makes me think, of course, not just cognition, but maybe even muscle function. Um, again, because of the neurotransmitter kind of effects of acetylcholine. Earlier studies have linked choline intake with cognitive processing. So this isn't the first example or first time. In fact, many of you may know that phosphatidylserine, PS, or phosphatidylcholine, PC, um, have in fact been sold as dietary supplements for cognition and, and um, you know, just a sort of general neurotransmitter support. Uh, in the recent study, men with the highest intake of dietary phosphatidylcholine had a 28% lower risk of dementia than men with the lowest intake. So again, the guys eating the meat and eggs having less risk. High intake study subjects also performed well in tests designed to measure memory and linguistic abilities. Uh, it says a lot of this data was patched together essentially from different uh, studies. 2,500 Finnish men between age 42 and 60. Uh, and then they took some of these, uh, they combined data from some of these different uh, sources, hospital records, medication reimbursement records, even death records, uh, and they got a lot of this data set together. Uh, it says, the researchers also took lifestyle and other nutrition factors into consideration as well as genetic factors. So you might say, oh, well, it's just observational, but they can correct for a lot of these other things, like other dietary or lifestyle or genetic type things, and they did adjust for those. In fact, they say quite fairly, however, this is just one observational study, uh, says researcher Maja Ililari, M-A-I-J-A-Y-L-I-L-A-U-R-I. I think that's Ililari, but I'm probably butchering that. Uh, who's a doc student at the University of Eastern Finland. So interesting stuff there. Um, <laughs> if you're trying to wonder, are you embracing the onslaught of plant-based, you know, the fake burgers that are coming out, or now that we have the, you know, fake beef jerkies and, and all these things that are coming down the pike, how do you balance that with some of the research that's coming out, uh, like we see from this, uh, what I almost might call zoo chemicals, right? Instead of phytochemicals, P-H-Y-T-O, right? The healthful antioxidants and plant substances. Zoo chemicals are things that are helpful that come from essentially animals. And these are sort of good, good examples of that. I mean, other ones might be creatine, we're all familiar with, or carnosine, uh, which is a sort of acidity buffer and anti-glycating agent and things like that that you get from meats. Uh, in any case... Uh, this is why I like dietary variety, right? So you don't miss out on some of these things. This is not cause and effect. This last paper here that I got from uh, the Institute of Food Technologist and AJCN in University of Eastern Finland, uh, but it is suggestive, certainly. I mean, 28% lower risk dementia, you know, better memory and linguistic abilities. That's pretty cool. And these guys weren't ancient. I mean, 42 to 60 so I think Phil and Mike and I are all on the low end of that range, but still in there. So that's the news uh, for today. Just a little bit, like I said, contradicting maybe, uh, at least as far as food trends in the industry versus what science is, is saying in this case. I, I didn't plan to find these in a contradictory way. They just came across my desk, and I thought this is an in interesting learning opportunity, right, to compare and contrast a little. 
So having said that, uh, I'm done with this brief spiel this morning. Uh, We're going to go now to Mike and Phil. And I just had some questions for them as far as, you know, being a good um, muscle and strength fitness citizen, either in person, in the gym, or online. Um, So I thought it'd be a fun conversation that I've seen in other genres, and we might uh, apply it to ourselves. So we'll be back after the break. Hey listeners, this is Dr. Lonnie Lowry. If you've ever had anyone critique you uh, on your protein intake as part of your weightlifting lifestyle, oh, you poor meathead, all that extra protein is going to rot your kidneys or weaken your bones or dehydrate you or give you gout or who knows what, uh, there is a book available. You could simply Google CRC Press and Lowry. And what I've done is reach out to experts all over the world and create a book, a single compendium that you can hold up and say, this is why I consume extra protein. This can be very valuable when you're um, being quote-unquote educated uh, by various professionals on the topic. Uh, There's an enormous amount of literature in this book on the safety, uh, the effectiveness, how protein works in cells, the history of protein and weight trainers, uh, much more. So again, please check out CRC Press and Protein and Lowry. You can just Google that, and uh, I do, full disclosure, I do make a small single-digit royalty on the book, but that's not why I did it. I did it so we can all have something, uh, our particular population, uh, to both defend what we do and to inform our nutrition and our eating. Thanks. Iron Radio is, of course, primarily a podcast. But over the years, there have been technical glitches calling for backup streaming and listeners who wanted the convenience of other sources of audio content. Toward this end, Iron Radio is now simulcast and backed up on YouTube. If needed, please search Lawnman07 or Iron Radio from within YouTube. There's not much video, but if you like to listen through YouTube on a Roku or other living room device, there you go. Like your weekly fix of Iron Radio? In addition to being a popular institute on iTunes, we are also on email. Simply go to www.ironradio.org and sign up for the voluntary email. You'll get a once-per-week email, no more, that's little more than the show notes and a link to the audio. So go for it. All right, everybody, we're back. It's Phil and Mike and Lonnie, and we're going to discuss the topic of the day, which is citizenship. Um, as far as being a member, if you will, of um, a fitness community, either w- whether it's in person or online, um, bodybuilding, powerlifting, uh, you get the idea. So let's start with a definition, and then I've just got some questions for the guys. Citizenship according to vocabulary.com, just simple definition I pulled up, is the status of being a member of a place where you have the right to live there, work there, vote, and pay taxes, essentially. Uh, it comes from the Latin word apparently for city, 
because in the earliest days of human governments, people identified themselves as belonging to cities more so than countries. So that's where that word comes from. But, uh, of course, that begs the question, especially in the online world, but even in an accelerating society in general, uh, you could be the member of a, a couple of different types of groups, and then we can apply this idea, at least, of citizenship. So, uh, Phil, let's start with you. In the land of egghead meatheads, uh, <laughs> how do people actually live there? Like, how do they actually live there? Yeah, um, live there, work there, you know, if, that, if that's part of the definition. Um, is it the gym membership, do you think? Like, you got to show up, uh, you know. You can't win if you're not present kind of thing? Yeah, I mean, part of it. I mean, that's part of the reason why, I mean, we've talked about this before. I, I work with some people pro bono on this and that, but even, uh, you got to have skin in the game, <laughs> generally, yeah, yeah. to be part of that family. And, you know, I've, I've dealt with some kids and things where I let them come in, and they, they take advantage of that. So um, part of it is just, like you said, it's being a part of that and, and having uh, some accountability. Yeah. So and, and caring, giving giving a shit. Yeah, <laughs> well, no uh, idea. Which there's a, there's a there's a large lack of that nowadays. Everybody wants everything for free, but and then they of course they don't take it. They they ask for your advice all the time, but then they excuse it because they have nothing in in the game. So, right. I mean, I think a big part of it is just being in the game. So yeah, yeah. Uh, I I often think about like when you're in a gym. If that's your gym and you identify with it, you know. If somebody you've never seen comes in there before and they're being an a-hole, they're not putting back their weights or whatever, you're probably going to say something to them. Yeah, you yeah. Know? Oh, yeah. It's like, this is my, this is my place, you know. This is, this is our house. Yeah, it's our house. <laughs> right. Yeah. yeah. And, I mean, as a community, I think at least our place does a good job of policing it as a whole. Everybody does. Like, it's not just up to me. Um, that's, see, that's citizenship, I would think, yeah, right? because like, we are – yeah, exactly. We are a family, and yeah. we're, we're a citizen of this – this group and hey man you're screwing up you know you better check yourself or you know you're going to be gone yeah yeah so, take responsibility so. for it yeah you know yeah uh mike what do you think about you know and again you can even sort of think in an online world because of the way things expand but for me it's more concrete to think of this in person but yeah living or working somewhere as far as being a, a strength athlete i guess yeah, I mean, I can agree with Phil. I mean, it's, you know, I have the luxury of going to, you know, different people's gyms and seeing different cultures and stuff like that. And unfortunately, I think that's one of the things that's missing in kind of a bigger commercial gym. Everybody kind of feels like they're just their own person. They kind of do every, I don't know, just weird stuff in general. Or if you go to more private gyms, or even like CrossFit gyms, and my buddy Ben House has his place in uh, Costa Rica. And so he likes the phrase, sweeping the sheds. You know, it's like when you're done, just put your weights back, you know, make sure it looks, you know, semi-presentable. It's not his job to clean the weight room all the time either. And I think we're even that, like, so one of the things I do if I walk into a new facility is just kind of look around at people and what they're doing after they're done. And in general, if they're, you know, putting stuff away and everything seems to be pretty organized, usually it's a sign that it's probably a better community at the same time. Yeah. yeah. Um, and what you know, Phil said also about people asking. You know, I've realized in the past that people ask for free information. One, I probably need to put some boundary on what the expectation of that is, and then two, I don't really ever expect they're going to do anything with it. <laughs> yeah. 
Oh, yeah. And if they yeah. email me again, it's like, well, how did that first thing go that I gave you the information on? And they're like, well, I didn't really do it. I'm like, well, you probably wouldn't want to start with that thing anyway. I'm not going to tell you anything different because I wasn't lying to you the first time. That's actually where I would want to have you start. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that reminds me of um, when I was the, the sports nutritionist at uh, the local university here. The strength coach there, big bodybuilder guy, Tim, uh, the guys on the football team would come ask me questions. And at one point he called me into my office in, or into his office and he said, he said, Lonnie, don't even toss those guys under their bone, right? Because <laughs> they're not following through. Make them show that, like Phil says, they have skin in the game, right? Because if they yeah. don't, if they value this, they're going to follow your initial advice. If they say, basically, have you gained five pounds? Then get away from me, you know, because I told you how to gain weight. And now you're just you're picking my brain, not just with uh, additions or nuances, but you didn't even listen. So you're just I don't know. Why are you even talking to me? Why are you asking me yeah. questions? Right. So it's just, I saw the same thing in person, uh, like in a university gym. Right. Because I don't think think they felt that sense of ownership, I guess, or membership, you know, and it's like, well, you're you're not acting like a responsible citizen of this team in this case, you know, mm-hmm. Um it's like not cleaning up the weights and other things, but that's true. Um, having a sloppy, uh, irresponsible uh, behavior goes way beyond just putting up, putting back your weights. I guess you know if, if they're asking you, if they're wasting your time, you're trying to be a sort of leader in a community, you know, and provide some guidance at least. And uh, they're just wasting your time, I guess. But, uh, okay, so that comes to our second one, sort of. Uh, another aspect of being a citizen is voting or having a say. So, Phil, in your gym or even like your online efforts, how do people vote or have a say in the strength community? Oh, definitely in my gym they do. I don't know about online. (laughs) I post things purposely to piss people off online. But um, (laughs) Yes, you do. Yes, you do. Uh, As far as the gym, I mean, they know if they are you know, if you're a longtime member, uh, you're part of the family, and you have a say in in what does and what does not happen. Mm-hmm. Um, and you're also held to a standard where if there's something going on that you know shouldn't happen, it is your place to say so um, to that person. So, um, and that comes in a short amount of time that you just kind of know it. You kind of know that you're part of the family, and you see it because other people help police the place. Um, we'll, we'll call you on your shit. You know, hey, you left your stuff. I mean, every once in a while we have somebody that forgets to load a bar or whatnot, and the first thing that happens is somebody takes a picture of it, posts it online, and tags them in it. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, things like that. And yeah. Public shaming seems to work. Um, <laughs> <laughs> seems to work oh my well. God. But, yeah. uh, and I don't know. I mean, I'd see it as like with anything else. I mean, if I go visit another country or I go visit somebody's house uh, that's not mine, you. <sighs> You take it as a responsibility yourself to learn their customs, mm-hmm. and you live by their rules. And you should do the same thing walking into somebody's facility. You know, mm-hmm. you don't come in and start doing your own thing. Um, mm-hmm. You look around, you ask. I mean, it's not that hard to, like Mike said, if you just look around, you can kind of catch a lot of what goes on there, yeah. and, and what's acceptable, what, what's not. But right. if you're not sure, just copy what everyone else is doing. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Well, I imagine, Phil, that's how, I mean, your apprenticeship model to learning so much in powerlifting, that's kind of how you did, like, you don't learn as much when you go in there 
let's say you just spent a year at somebody else's gym in another country, you know, then you yeah. walk into some Thailand gym and you're like, no, this is how you do it. You guys are doing it yeah. wrong. Well, you've yeah. just defeated the purpose of being there to absorb what they know. Yes. You know? Yeah. And that's even, I've talked about this with other coaches. Like, even if you're going to visit a coach that, you know, maybe you've read about them online and, like, you don't agree with a large portion of what they say, it's still up to you at this point to shut up and learn. You yeah. can dissolve it later, you know? Yeah. But while you're there, just shut up and listen. And, and then sort through the stuff later. You know, you were in their place. Give them their respect. You know, do as they ask. Uh, and try and learn from it. And you can pull a gem out of anybody. I mean, It so. sounds to me almost like, well, let me pose it to you. This might be a hard question or maybe it might be easy for you. Uh, seniority means more skin in the game. So it sounds like you, people with more so seniority in your gym at least, you give them more of a say. They have more of a vote. Oh, yeah. Like votes are not yeah, equal. I would definitely say. Right. And it, it has very little to do with... Uh, their physical ability and more to do with how long they've been there and how long they've been in the system. Mm -hmm. Like I have people that aren't the strongest, but they know the system well that we, that we run. Um, maybe they're just not as physically genetically gifted as somebody that just walked in. I mean, you see that all the time. I mean, see somebody with an atrocious squat. That's really big. It doesn't mean they know things <laughs> just because they're strong, you know? Mm -hmm. So, and that's, you know, that's definitely part of it. Yeah. I mean, I, I could see one of your, like, let's say, a, a real, one of the old-timer senior women in your gym, they're uh -huh. not going to have less of a vote than Big Brian or something because they can't, no. you know, bench and pull 900 pounds or something. You know? Exactly. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Um, honestly, I think this parallels, for me, oftentimes, it's the education thing, too. Like, it grates me, and this is partly an online thing, but I see this in person enough, and Mike, you must when you travel. You know, someone will sort of say, I'm here to be an expert. I'm a world-renowned expert, and I'm going to share my expertise so expertly on being an expert. And and you start to think, do you have enough work? This goes back to the work thing. Have you put in enough work? Do you have enough seniority? Have you earned the right to instruct? Right? Because I think in the new, especially like Web 2.0 environment, everyone wants to offer tutorials. I see it in art. I see it in you know uh, fitness and nutrition. Uh, so many things instead of like paying those dues sit down shut up and get some seniority like maybe get that degree or go train under that person not for mm -hmm. a couple of days but for as long as you can it may take weeks or years you know and mm -hmm. and build the the right i, I guess like if you're a, a, a citizen of a group i suppose everybody has certain rights but i would think that if you're going to presume to offer tutorials and that kind of thing pick up the education or the experience in one way or another right but that's not kind of what i see i see a lot of people either they're uh, almost to your point phil they're genetically gifted or they're born lucky or whatever it is it's like look at my abs now let me show you how to eat it's like well mm -hmm. wrong <laughs> wrong bro you know yeah. um but mike what do, you, what do you think you travel a lot so when you go to one conference for an, versus another I, you must get different flavors and how do you judge that like who has more of a say or does everybody have the same say how do you look at that uh i mean similar to what you guys were saying i think it's you know looking at their background and their history and because you're going to have people who are more on the research academic side you're going to have people that are on more of the uh, practice you know in the trenches coaching experience and 
you know, both of them are obviously useful. Um, I always look at it the lens of if they're just a, a researcher, which is not a knock at all, do they coach anyone, right? So if they do, eh, application may be a, a little bit mm, more useful because their brain is wired because they have to apply it to something. Um, but we've all been to conferences that, you know, people just only really do research in one niche area, and there's definitely things you can uh, pull out from there and apply them in different areas. In terms of listening to people, again, I go back to kind of how much experience they have, and then the caveat to that doesn't always mean it's better. Right? So I think people go, oh, my God, this coach has 30 years' experience. He must be a wizard. It's like, well, he's been doing the same thing for 20 years. Is that really 30 years' experience? Yeah. It's just like an indication, right? We've all been to places where you're like, wow, he or she's a PhD. They must know what's going on. Eh, it's an indicator, right? It's an indicator that they put a lot of time and effort into something. There's probably something there. Um, doesn't guarantee it. And then this sounds a little bit weird, but the older I get, I, I know I unconsciously kind of look at their age. If you're 21 and you're some world-renowned expert, I'm going to really scratch my head because I don't know <laughs> how that's going to happen, you know. Um, but that's probably just me getting old and cranky. <laughs> well, you're in the right place for that. So, yeah, yeah. Um, so it, fit, it fits in well here. <laughs> yeah, you know, I think one of the ways, one of the reasons maybe that I've always sort of been that anti-guru is because after 35 years of doing this, right? Cause I actually, I was looking at it the other day, like 37, 38 years since I really started lifting with barbells, you know? And I'm thinking, I'm, I'm hypersensitive to gurus. And what I mean by gurus yeah. are people who are half-baked. They actually expect some level of submission from their little cult of personality, right? But they're not, to your point, I like your word, indicator. They don't have the right or enough indicators for me to listen to them. And if that makes yeah. me a curmudgeon, so be it, you know. Yeah. But we just live in a world where, where people are like, oh, he's a financial expert. Oh, and he's a neuroscience researcher. Oh, and this and that and a motivational speaker and a psychologist. And it's like, you won't, I highly doubt you're all of these things. These are... They're sort of red flags, like the opposite of indicator. These are red flags that you're probably none of the above, bro. You know. Yeah, and I find like uh, like David Epstein's new book Range is awesome. Uh, so how do you do pretty good in different areas that overlap? But again, that goes back to if someone is uh, expert, which I use in quotes in a couple different areas, even if those areas are relatively close, I'm expecting them to be old. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know. Yeah. And then I'm also going to look at, does, and I mentioned this before, does anyone pay you for the thing that you're an expert at? Right? So if you're in the world of application, right? does the market bear whatever it is you're doing? Right? So if you're a coach, do people pay you for coaching? Mm -hmm. If you're a soft tissue expert, do people pay you just for soft tissue? Right? If they do, then, okay, I'm probably going to listen because at least you're doing something that the market says, hey, we like this thing and you can get money for it. Uh, there's some value there, and it's just kind of a eh, easy way to to look at it and go, oh, okay, yeah. So yeah, maybe there is something there with you know that person. Yeah, that's not a bad. Again, I like the word indicator, right? If you're good, yeah. even like even if you're an educator, I mean, I think about KSAs. Even if you're more imparting the K, the knowledge, people might be 
you know, my students pay tuition to come to university. Okay? Exactly. So yeah, yeah. There's to your to use the value word, right? Yeah. It suggests value. I don't know. Uh, and if you weren't providing that value, the university is not going to keep you. <laughs> yeah. That's so entrepreneurial. You know, I've been taking some online uh, and just bumping into some some friends who are who teach entrepreneurship. That whole concept just it seems so entrepreneurial to me. You know, that if if there's a real need out there and you can fill it, then that has enough value you can make money from it, kind of thing. Yeah. But, um, Phil, let's go. Let's come back to the idea that citizens they live and work somewhere, they vote or have a say, but they also pay taxes. Like I know I don't want to get into a political discussion, right? Because <laughs> Not doing uh-huh. that, but um, how might we pay taxes, like either online or in person? I, I suppose the obvious might be your gym fees, gym membership. Mm. Yeah, that's... Is, is that fair? Yeah, I mean, that's definitely the easiest one to pick out. But, I mean, there's also just, no matter how long you've been at it, I mean, you got to keep paying your dues as far as, like, strength training goes. Like, if you're one of my top lifters and all of a sudden you're slacking, I'm going to call you on it. Like, you know, you got to keep paying your dues. You're not going to make it there. Uh, if you're not working as hard as that beginner, you know, if anything, you should probably be working harder. So if you've been at it, you start, if you start slacking off, um, I don't care who you are. You're going to get called on your shit. You know? Yeah. So, and that's, that's definitely part of it. That I mean, makes sense to or me. Or if you're just not a team player. I mean, if 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 it's if it's heavy squat day and yeah you're squatting and you expect people to spot you well it's their turn get over there yeah you know? reciprocate it's time for you to step up too I don't care that she you know she squats 500 pounds less than you she's giving it her all too so shut up and get over there and spot her mm-hmm. you know so that type of thing yeah I mean so, I think if the, the support system right yeah I, I think if the general concept of taxes is you pay into something so you can get something back. Right, either some type of the structure of society is supported in some way by what you're investing. Yeah. You know, just in a very kind of generic uh, definition there. Yeah, I think that's true. Instead of just pay your gym membership or um, I don't know, pay to belong to a website. You you said like one of the things you did early on, after all the years working like the T Nation forums and everything, mm-hmm. you're like, hey, one of the best things I can do is put up even a, a tiny uh, like monthly membership fee, and it keeps the weasels out. Oh yeah, right. Oh, yeah. Um, on my forum, yeah, and that's like when when we were launching the Windler's forum, it was that's a huge one. If you just put up five bucks, you're gonna they're gone. They're not gonna pay that. <laughs> People that are just there to talk trash, um, they're they're not gonna throw money in the game. So yeah, and, and yeah, you end up with with more responsible citizens that way, like they're yes. actually contributing. You know, yeah, because it, I mean that's what's what's five dollars a month, nothing, but. Yeah, yeah. It, it keeps it keeps those people at bay, and you know that's one thing that we've done from the start is just we're definitely a community, and you're definitely expected to be to be part of that community, and uh, you know if your head's getting big, it's time to go. <laughs> I don't care who you are. Mm-hmm. I, that's one thing that I'm I'm glad I started from. The, I'm not afraid to fire people. It's like you're not too good for us. You know, hit hit the bricks. There's ten of you out there. You <laughs> know, shut up and listen or go. Yeah, so, yeah. and that's that's a big indicator of like we were talking about earlier when Mike Mike was talking. I mean, it's yes, time in the game means something, but we all know coaches that have been in the game a long time that have gone nowhere in twenty years. Oh yeah, <laughs> you know they're yeah. still saying the same wrong thing, 
and they've got a they have a, a huge following. And in any game, really, if you if you think you know it all, you're done. Oh yeah. If you know you got nothing left to learn, you are over. I mean, you've got to keep expanding all the time. I mean, I'm always testing new things and testing your own belief system. <laughs> how do you trying to disprove you know, your own belief? Yeah, how do you know your belief system <laughs> is right if you never test it and and try and prove it wrong? So yeah. there was um, I can actually reference it. There, if you go to the Oxford Center for Evidence Based Medicine, they actually have a talk about what is evidence, and as part of that. Uh, they show a, a graph, and it's just shocking to me. But to this point about a coach who, uh, you know, congratulations, you've done something for 20 years, but you could have been doing something wrong or suboptimally mm-hmm. all that time yes. yeah. and been too yeah. hard-headed to, to know or to change. But there's a, a graph they have, and they, they actually look at patient outcomes with physicians, and time in practice or age alone actually led to poorer outcomes. Yeah. Now, again, that's isolated, right? We're talking about people who don't go look at the literature. They don't stay up on the science. They just know better, damn it, you know? Yeah, and, oh, yeah. And actually poorer outcomes. Not, not only did they not grow, they actually had poorer patient outcomes. And I think that's also true, of course, with, with coaches. You know, if, you, if, if you're such a stick in the mud, you can't change or grow at all. Yeah, you're going to end up with poorer outcomes for your people. Because something could come along. I mean, why do we do the news section every day or every week? Because these new tidbits, are you going to change all of your practice based on one new study? Well, no, you're not. But it, it might be the beginning, the pebble that starts an avalanche, and eventually that that is something that really changes uh, You know what we do. Yeah, I mean, that's like, like the first doctor I went to, the first ortho I went to for my hip replacement consult. He was highly talked about. And I went and met him, and he's like, yeah, so we're going to give you this hit. He was going to give me a 20-year-old hip. I was like, why are we doing that? Well, because that's the one I've used for 20 years. <laughs> yeah, it's fucking horrible. You know, it's 20 years old. There's a lot newer stuff out there. It's like, oh, you're fired. You know, just because it's, you know, it, he was very comfortable with that one because he'd been doing it for 20 years. So, of course, he's good at it. He can run me through like an auto shop. Um, but, you know, it doesn't mean it's the best thing out there. So, and there's some super cool information. There's an older study where, like, well, it's you know not real. We're just trying to do this as a study. You know, do the best you can. So they go away, do it, come back, and then they said, okay, now we're going to give you more information to you know further your diagnosis. Do you want more information? Pretty much everybody says yes. And then they looked and said, okay, now that you have a lot more information, I don't know if it's like forty percent more or whatever, do you want to change your initial diagnosis? And almost all of them said, no. <laughs> oh, right, yes. And then they asked them, they said, well, how confident do you feel now compared to before? And they're like, well, much more confident, which is fascinating that they had more information, they don't want to change their mind, but now they're really sure that they think they're right. But <laughs> <laughs> so like more info isn't always necessarily better, and it, yeah. it may just push you further into saying sort of the the wrong thinking, right? Like Phil's example, if you're really good using that hip, or I've always used X routine, and it seems to work all the time, then you get kind of stuck in that that rut too. If you're, especially if you're not doing assessments or looking at you know results, and just kind of fall into, well, this is the way we always do it. It's like, Ugh. yeah. 
Well, Mike, you're an engineer, so let me ask you this, because I am not, and if this sounds ignorant, you, you know I'm not an engineer. So uh, <laughs> it, my perception of engineers is that you're always trying to optimize or increase efficiency of something. Um, and toward that end, that's kind of what we're talking about here, I would think. Like that, that mindset would keep you from being stuck in doing something just one way. You'd always be thinking, can I up the efficiency of this? Can I make this somehow... Can I optimize the system or make it better in some way? Is that fair? Yeah, I think that's probably fair. You know, and I think of engineers just as just another form of problem solving. You know, physicians are kind of more with the human body. Obviously, what we do is more with performance, and engineering is kind of usually with you know non-living systems, unless you get in the area of biomedical engineering, things of that nature. And part of that is you know an efficiency, right? So I didn't do a lot of uh, IC engines, internal combustion engines, but I went to college with a lot of people who did, went to work at, you know, Ford and big motor manufacturers. And, you know, a lot of that is figuring out what are the thermodynamics of an engine? Well, how does it run? How does it work? And especially now, you know, how do you make that process more efficient, right? How do you make it more kind of, you know, robust? And there's always the thing that people forget is there's always trade-offs with that, right? So if I want to make a car that's going to last for a really long period of time, I'm just going to over-design the crap out of everything, right? Brake pedals, everything. I'm just going to make them super big, take a bunch of material. Eh, but now my fuel efficiency is not going to be that good because i got a friggin' tank i got to move down the road. Yeah, It's going to be expensive as hell to manufacture because I've got a lot of extra material there. It'll probably last forever, right? So to use your word, kind of optimized, you're trying to find that sweet spot of, okay, yep, we get pretty good gas mileage, good efficiency, it's going to last for, you know, X amount of time. It's, you know, not kind of over-designed, per se. Um, and it's something that we can sell and actually make money on. We're not, you know, spending all of our money on just the cost of raw materials to put into the thing. It's fun to make parallels with, with human beings, too. Like, I yeah. imagine as Phil gains weight wildly, at some point he's like those oversized brakes you just talked about. Like, yeah, if, exactly. if Phil gets up to, let's say, some ridiculous 330 and it's not helping anymore. Like, I mean, at least this time around, you know what I mean? Eventually, yeah, I think yeah. it would, but he's going to have to be like, well, okay, the efficiency is off here. You know, I'm all, this is now all gut once I get over like 310, yeah. you know, it's all gut and it's not helping my squat anymore. Ugh. So it's fun to make the kind of the parallels, especially I think because the human body is a dynamic system, right? It's, yeah. it's adapting and it's changing. It's like... It's not in in one sense. It's not quite as clean as working with an automobile engine, right? Because you can you can increase or decrease the fuel efficiency, or add a spark plug, or or whatever it might be, uh, to use a metaphor. Um, and that must be what fascinates I, you about the human body, I would think. You know. Oh yeah, yeah. And I you know I worked in uh, medical technology for ten years for a company, and man, I used to at one point when I worked in uh, design, I would get in, I'll say, discussions with classically trained mechanical engineers almost on a daily basis because they're like well you know the human heart's not just that it's not complicated this little thing we're sticking in it that's way more complicated I'm like what the hell are you talking about yeah. it's like yeah the thing you're sticking in there is ungodly complicated but it's nowhere close to like physiology right which i joke has every bad engineering word known to man anisotropic it's nonlinear. it's chaotic I mean, even exercise fizz, just off the top of your head, name how many things are linear? Like two? I mean, <laughs> that's, that's definitely one of your mantras. <laughs> yeah. yeah, but everyone in the brain is just, you're wired to think linearly. 
mm-hmm. right? That's just kind of how our, our default brain is wired. So it's a uh, it's harder concepts to wrap your head around. It, you you know? sound like Kurzweil a little bit, you know. Yeah. Like he, he keeps talking <laughs> about like this logarithmic rise, you know, exponential yep. rise. Um, and it's not linear. It, by the way, I was just about to send you some more scatter plots, and you know I'm using the general linear model to try to figure yeah. them out. <laughs> and that's but, hard. And even publishing literature, like I did nonlinear analysis of physiologic systems for my PhD, and trying to get some of that stuff, the more esoteric stuff published, is I still have a paper I haven't been able to get published because right. it's like now you're talking about physiology to people who have would have to have a fair amount of math to even understand it. Yes. And to find those crossover journals between high-level math and physiology because most people are just not trained in that area. You right, know? So. yes, totally. Uh, I think I would argue that those engineers you talked about, about, oh, this piece of electronics or this mechanical device is more complex – they're not thinking on like they're not thinking cellular physiology. I mean, oh, maybe no. macroscopic scale. Yeah, the heart's a pump, your kidneys are filters. Yeah. But holy Christ, get down into the cell and proteomics and everything that's going on in the, within the cell, and the levels of complexity are ridiculous, right? Yeah. And I think that's one of the cool things about muscle building is that people actually, our listeners might know the term mTOR or fractional, you know, myofibrillar synthetic rate and, the, you know, this sort of idea, you got to dive down into the cell level for a lot of this stuff because that's where the physiology has gone. The analogy I use with them is, do we have anything that's man-made that can fix itself, right? We take this little tiny screw, we screw it into the wall of the heart, and we cause a whole bunch of trauma and damage there that we can measure, and then we come back a couple of weeks later and it's all fixed itself. Mm-hmm. It's like if anything happens to that little complex wire we put in, it's not going to fix itself. It's got to come out. We got to put another one in. So yeah, <laughs> yeah, uh, dynamic, adaptable. Yep. Yep. Um, all right. So uh, one last question. We'll go start with Phil here. Can you give an example of a responsible citizen in bodybuilding or powerlifting? So all these things we're talking about. People have paid their dues. They they work hard. They have a say uh, that influences the system. They pay their taxes in some way, either not just financially, but you know by giving back, whatever. Who are good examples of this in your mind in the strength sports? Eddie Cohn would be the first one that comes to mind. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, he's just always there to. He's arguably, rightly so, the greatest of all time. But he's the first one, like, if you're at a meet, he'll hop up and tell a nobody lifter, like, he'll start giving them tips and, like, and helping them out. Like, hey, you just need to do this, you know. And he'll get out of his judge's chair to, and make his way over <laughs> to you and, and, and give you help. Um, and you don't see that a lot. You no, see these cool. people and it's like, they get these huge heads like, dude, all you are is a power lifter. Lose the lose the chip on your shoulder. Uh-huh. Like nobody knows who you are, and you know. And then there's Eddie Cohn, who's who's like I said, arguably the greatest of all time. But he's he's the first to give, so give help and things like that. And I think that's a huge one now. I mean, we're seeing it more and more now that powerlifting is Instagram and everything like that. People think they're this great this great star, but it's like yeah, okay. So you have twenty thousand followers. That's nothing. Yeah. <laughs> in the grand scheme of things, you're nobody. If you're right. on the news, people will be like, "Who the hell is this guy?" You know, you're not, you're not some superstar. You're you have some followers within a very niche market. Um, 
but you know, in the grand scheme of things, you pick up weight and put it down, just like the rest of us. Yeah. So it's the same thing uh, academically. I said something to a, a younger researcher, and I said, "Bro, we're just small potatoes here, so let's just remember that." And he's like, "I'm not small <laughs> potatoes." I'm like, oh. <laughs> "I'll come back to you in ten years, right?" Yeah. <laughs> when you, yeah. if you're smart, you'll say, "Oh, I'm small potatoes." Yeah, exactly. <laughs> right. I've got a lot to learn. Yeah. So. So. Uh, yeah, I don't. I don't like that people that. People that get big heads unwarranted, you know, it's like, come on. Yeah. Or they have such ambition, they're willing to sort of, um, I don't know, sell out or try to overgeneralize. I've worked with some supplement companies in the past. They try to go so mainstream that they went bankrupt, you know, instead of like getting away from just the strength, the muscle head type stuff, which is where, where it did work kind of thing. But yeah. uh, uh, Mike, what about you? A good citizen in sort of the egghead, meathead world, you know? Yeah, I mean, I think there's a lot more now. I mean, I just think of, you know, all the people that put out free content. Um, going back, you know, a couple decades, we didn't see that. And obviously having the internet and all that stuff makes that a lot more accessible, makes it easier to do. And even kind of what Phil said, it. so the judge came over and he was like, all right, here's what you do. You know, he's like, I'm going to give you the count. And he walked me through everything you know i'm not there i'm not going to win anything you know but everyone was like super helpful mm-hmm. i mean even when i did the grip contest in in finland about a month ago you know i was just harassing one of the competitors at the arnold and he's like yeah you you come and lift i'm like okay isn't this like special invite like you know you need an invite to show up to this kind of world competition like yes i give you a special invite you show up okay <laughs> so, you know, yeah, like two of the events I've never done in my life. You know, pick up this little ball and this gold bar weird thing. And, you know, even when we were there, like, they took us to a local gym. Hey, here's your pass to get in. You know, here, okay, make sure you put your hand here. And, you know, even during the event, it's like, okay, you know, you got one more minute. People are, like, you know, walking you through what to do. And, you know, everyone was, like, super helpful, mm-hmm. you know. And I think people forget that even powerlifting and things that we kind of view as, not as fringe as like grip sport and arm lifting and stuff like that to the mass populace it's still pretty fringe oh yeah yeah Uh, the amount of people that do this it's just not a lot you know and so you see other people that are new that come in like a vast majority of the time i've seen people are more than uh helpful to kind of make sure they they feel like they fit in and that that it's a, a good experience for them because it's like hey you're trying to do this really weird niche thing hey we're doing that too you know, it's in our advantage to, to help everyone and make them feel comfortable. Right, yeah. You know, when I first started writing for magazines, um, there was a lot of talk about the subculture, right? That word got thrown out a lot. The subculture of bodybuilding, the subculture of powerlifting, because your value systems are different and sometimes even opposite of gen pop. You know, like uh, grotesque muscle mass, you know, freaky huge. Things mm-hmm. that could be almost disturbing or negative to the, the general population, and it's something you actually uh, value, and then you find other people that value that too, and that sort of creates yeah. a, creates a community, you know, sort of thing. But especially when you're doing things that are hard, you know, like a good buddy of mine is one of the top you know grip lifters, and and he was saying he's like, yeah, he's like, if you continue to do this and this is your main focus, he's like, most people, if they have any modicum of talent, you know, could probably do pretty good at a world stage in 10 to 15 years but it's not one year you know and for other sports it's probably even longer and you know but it's a day in and day out of just putting in the effort and it's cool to see other people who 
kind of stepped forward and I'm like, yeah, I want to do that and, you know, follow up and actually do the effort. Yeah. You know, um, just to wind up this whole thing is we've had whole episodes on online behaviors before, but I think one of the concerns with a lot of online stuff is some of the things that I'm looking at in this vocab.com definition here of citizenship is is member uh, identifying, you know, well, if you're not identifiable, you can be one of those, two, and there's no pay, there's no tax at the beginning, there's no pay wall, you know, of to the forum or whatever, you can waltz in and just be as dis- disruptive as you want, and actually very damaging, that's a very irresponsible citizen, or not even a citizen, now you're just sort of a agent from a, a another city, <laughs> You know, because you're actually doing damage to that community, sort of thing. So the online thing and the anonymity, of course, is a uh, another problem. I think, but yeah, I think it's just almost there's no transparency and there's no skin in the game, right? If you're Joe Bob, whatever, and nobody knows who you are, it's like you can probably be a dickhead online, and right. no one's going to find out about it. But, Purposely uh, troll, it, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, fellas. Uh, well, that's good, Mike. I know you got to run and give a talk. Yep, I'm going to take off. Thanks, guys. Yep, get you later. All right, any final thoughts, Phil, uh, about the citizenship thing, um, identification and membership and dues and taxes and all the things? Yeah, no, I mean, I think a big part of it is like we talked about. It's just time. It's time and staying humble (laughs) despite your time in the game. So you get to a point where you know, like, I know I know things. But not so much that I know I can't still learn. I'm still open to right. learn. Yeah. You know, and that's a big one. Yeah, I like what you said about um, Eddie Cohn, is that although the senior members of a community, they might have more of a voice, he sort of recognizes that even the rank noob, like he'll see a teaching moment, and that yeah. person still matters. They still have a vote. They, they're still a citizen, or a, they're still a member of the group. So let's help help the juniors. You know, kind of thing. So it's cool stuff. All right. All right, everybody. Well, that's going to be it. Uh, We'll catch up with you next week. Thanks a lot, guys. Hey, listeners. Have you seen the store at ironradio.org? There are three halls in the store. One for Phil, one for Fortress, and one for myself, Dr. Lowry, and they're thematic. So you can go into our Halls of Iron store and choose based on your goal. If you need something to learn or read or something nutritional, you can look in my store, uh, Lonnie's store. If you want something about injury prevention uh, or competition, then take a look at Phil's Hall of Iron. And if you want something about motivation or daily training, Fortress's Hall has what you're looking for. There are some fun heroic descriptors uh, as you browse through the stores. We try to make it a little more fun than the average boring online store. And whether you're a novice lifter or someone more experienced, you can take heart that you're not wasting your time. The things that we put in each Hall of Iron are actually based on our own recommendations protein powders that we know to be good, uh, knee sleeves, wraps of some kind, things that Fortress uses in his own training. Uh, The stuff you, you see, you know is good. This way you don't waste time. 
So check out the Iron Radio store at ironradio.org. And um, let us know what you think on the forums, and certainly you can request products, and we will uh, screen them before they go in. So thanks for listening. Iron Radio is accepting donations. If you like what we do, the professors, the scientists, the bodybuilding show promoters, the athletes themselves in powerlifting and bodybuilding, um, please consider making a donation or maybe buying something from the ironradio.org store. Uh, We also are accepting supporting members. So for $4 a month, which is frankly less than the bank sneaks out of your account in fees, you can step up and support a form of sort of public radio for the bodybuilding and powerlifting and strength community. The Iron Radio Podcast and all of the audio on ironradio.org is for informational purposes only. If you're interested in starting a diet or exercise program, it's important to check with your physician. Also seek the help of registered dietitians, athletic trainers, and qualified exercise physiologists in order to make the progress that you need.